0: Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, you know, we're getting out the mustard, the the mayo, the sriracha. We're getting out the macerated raspberry vinaigrette, because results in the Bundesliga mean that we're getting ready to eat our words. With me across the table is Nick Wildhagen. Nick, how would you like to make those uh, once certain predictions go down? Do you have some, some condiments handy?
1: Oh, uh, well, you know, it's sort of like going into a German cafe and ordering the Schwarzwalder Kirsch Torte, And once you've done so, you look at the waitress with a knowing smile and say, Aber bitte mitzana. please, with rib cream on top, because, I mean, what this matchday has thrown up is so good, you just need some icing on the cake, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean... I- I have to say that there were certain moments which, uh, you know, did not really resemble Schwarzwald to torture, and were a little bit tougher to swallow. But, um, you, you know, I, I've got other things in mind this week. We're, of course, we're going to be looking at uh, what the Bundesliga might look like in the future without the Revere Derby. The lay of the land in a wide open relegation battle and ooh, lo and behold, a rejuvenated title race. Hey, hey. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle. It's a brand new program where you can start your own podcast on Blue Wire. Uh, Hustle was created to give everybody the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you're going to receive personal cover art, Q and A's with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks for new podcasters. On top of that, you'll get help to get your show pushed out onto Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of the listening platforms. And the best part is you can get it for just 15 bucks a month. That is pretty much the same rate as you're going to pay for a hosting site, uh, which would charge you just for the initial setup and and housing your podcast. So um, whether you're starting from scratch or if you have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience, uh, acceptance into this program however is limited so um, if you're interested turn in an application today uh, go to bwhustle.com slash join uh, check out the description box for this episode you'll find more you'll find a link in fact to where you can submit that application but it is bwhustle.com slash join give it a go All right, here's part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 22, and we're not going to hide the ball here, people. There are lots of juicy story storylines running around the league these days, but none of them feel quite as charged, quite as urgent as the resuscitation of the title race just uh, two match days ago. FC Bayern München, they were riding high with a 7 point gap at the top and you know because they've won the title only the last 8 years in a row we were you know we were tempted to say we thought the title race might might be on life support but how wrong we were the Bavarians they dropped points on Monday of this past week uh, that that late game that they took part in because of the Club World Cup it was a 3-3 draw with Bielefeld in Munich Woo. And now on match day 22, they went to Frankfurt, and they lost to the streaking Eintracht Frankfurt. That result, combined with a win in Berlin for Leipzig, means that the gap is now down to two slim points. So, hot damn, we have got us a title race. Okay, Let, let's get to those big matches from the weekend, Nick. Eintracht, they were missing they Mr. Everything up front in Andre Silva. Uh, they got plenty of help otherwise in scoring on the day, though. Daichi Kamada opened things up with a really nice uh, toe poke on the run inside of 15 minutes. Then Amin Yunus made it two just after the half hour mark with a bold curler. Uh, Byron were under the gun for the remainder of the game. Uh, and though we've seen them mount some big comebacks uh, earlier this season, it was not going to happen this time. Nick, how was it that the Eagles were able to hang on for this win?
1: I think the first half was actually one of the best performances all season long. They were really prepared for what Bayern had to throw at them. You know, those uh, switches from side to side, whether that Bayern likes to do, they were really prepared for those. Uh, they pressed in sort of a 3-4-3 three, three system. Uh, with Kamada and Yunus when in position being really sort of active and uh, versatile and uh, rowing freely and uh, fittingly it was those two players who scored and uh, Yunus has really been an underrated signing for them and uh, I wrote that down as uh, as I was preparing my show notes on, on Saturday and uh, lo and behold today Yogi Love comes out and says Yunus is really a fine, fine player and I see him as a you know as somebody who has maybe a future in the German national team so um, even though the Twitter sphere seems to agree that Jürgen Löw is pretty much out of it and pretty much out of the job after the Euros should they happen in 2021. He seems to agree with me. In the second half, it was much of a different story uh with Bayern producing the chances, Lewandowski getting an early goal back for them. But uh, lo and behold, Kevin Trapp was on form, and uh, Eintracht somehow managed to get the result uh, they wanted. There was a sketchy moment there towards the end when uh, Alfonso Davis should have been sent off and a penalty should have been given, but. Once again, VR didn't interfere. So in the end, you have to say it's probably the right result. And lo and behold, we do have a title race. Yay. Yeah, for real. For real. It's interesting.
0: I felt like this was a game that, you know, we've seen these games in the past where Bayern sort of dig themselves a hole and then they either get back level terms or they win the game. I mean, it wasn't like Bayern didn't have chances to, you know, get back to 2-2 in this game. I'm thinking specifically the, in the very late stages when Robert Lewandowski, you know, got hold of a cross from the left wing, I believe it was. And, you know, maybe on another day, he would have just, you know, nodded that into the back of the net. But somehow
1: it was just, it was it was too big a task for them. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing this all season long and it might well you know let's let's be careful in sort of suggesting a trends here from from one match or two matches only but uh it might start to catch up with them the fact that they have been gone down in so many matches and then had to do all the hard work getting into them getting back into them uh, i mean they've already taken an insane amount of points after going behind in so far this season i think they're on 21 points or something after falling behind which is absolutely insane Additionally, their, their finishing has been really good, but that wasn't the case on the, on the day, and that is pretty much why Frankfurt managed to, to hold on to that win. But, um, you know, we talked about Armin and Eunice, and I, I forgot to mention one thing, and the thing we really have to mention is that goal celebration. Yunus actually held up a t-shirt commemorating the victims of the terrorist attack on Hanau, which happened uh, on February 19th. That's right. That's right. He f- held up the shirt,
0: including one of the names of the the folks killed in that attack. This particular person was named Fatih Fatisarachoru. Different players before the game were wearing shirts with different, you know, faces and names on them to make sure that people really remembered the victims of this attack. I thought it was a great gesture.
1: Yeah, I mean Hano is close by to Frankfurt, from uh, from what my geography knowledge tells me and i mean what happened on the day was that 10 people were killed by a uh, right-wing terrorist who uh, went to two shisha bars five more people were injured in that attack that happened on february 19th and uh, yeah it was a was a great way to commemorate uh the life of of one of those individuals who lost his life on the day and uh, you know to make sure that this is going to be remembered uh really really strong statement
0: yep yep there were um there were some commemorations elsewhere in the league, and, and I think it's a super, super thing to do. I mean, far-right terror, white supremacist terror, all that stuff <laughs> needs to be fought on all fronts, including uh, the world of football. So, you
1: know, hooray to Amin
0: Yunus and everyone else who chipped in in any way.
1: Yes, I mean, we do have to take a stance on, 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 on these things. I mean, Carlos Römerling, he was actually on Actors Watched later on that day, and um, he was asked about the connection between Bayern and Qatar. <laughs> that didn't work as well, uh, we have to say. I mean, Carl Ruminig said, well, Qatar is a young country. It takes time to develop labor laws and all these things, you know, in a very young country. And actually, that's sort of like taking out of the playbook of, you know, <laughs> what Edmund told Qataris to tell the Western world when they asked about human rights abuses. And uh, I think that, Journalist Johan Baraya, um, who for once actually was a journalist and not just somebody lobbing softballs at football officials in the actual sports, too, he he had a really good reply to that and said, "You know what? Cultural things, yeah, there might be some difference there, but human rights abuses and violations aren't a cultural thing." All right. Let's keep the political football ball
0: rolling uh, as far into this into the season as we can. But I, I guess I guess I want to change gears a little bit and talk about where Eintracht are going. I mean, obviously they're going places. They're, they're, they're making very canny moves, picking up Amin Yunus on the cheap, you know, who wanted to c- get back to Germany. They were able to get Luka Jovic back on their team after he sort of fell out of favor. A bit of a false start for him in, in Madrid. They're, the hottest team in the league, they have the best record in, you know, 2021. They're up to fourth place. They're level on points with Wolfsburg. Um, are you convinced that they are done climbing or can things go even better
1: for them? <laughs> they actually dropped the place in the table. I know, uh... I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Despite winning against Bayern, I mean, that, that one is strange. They um... only won by one goal, so, you know. <laughs> Poo-poo. Yes, so Wolfsburg got past them on goal difference. I think we we're going. you and Re are going to talk about that awesome rage later on. But listen, I think Bayern's slump is not going to last forever. We know that Bayern has had some moments of weakness, especially in the last couple of seasons, but they've you know always gotten their stuff together when it counted the most. And Leipzig, yes, they've had some sort of glimpses of weakness here and there, and they haven't really done well against the big boys of the league. But all in all, all things considered... I do think that those two teams are going to stay in the top two places. And it's for Frankfurt and Wolfsburg to stay up in third and fourth and uh, keep Bayer Leverkusen and Borussia Dortmund at bay. And uh, obviously, with six points ahead of them, it seems like a doable task right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the table too and looking at uh, the fact that Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, they only have five points to make up. To catch Leipzig, and and of course seven in that case to to catch Bayern. I maybe maybe I'm just being a bit of a romantic here, but like I would love it if one of those two teams could actually get into the title race. And of course, you know, while we're here eating our words from from a couple of weeks ago, I mean. Seven points, seven points. It, 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 you can close that gap so quickly, especially when you have Bayern and Leipzig still involved in, in European competition. I mean, Leipzig uh, didn't have, have the best result last week. Bayern, they have a pretty tough nut to crack. They're away to Lazio uh, on Tuesday. Wolfsburg and Frankfurt don't have that problem. They're both really good right now. I, I, Obviously, they've got challenges. They've got to take on um, each other. <laughs> they've got to take on, uh, in some cases, Leipzig if they want to climb. But I don't know. I am I still really think the sky's the limit for those two.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I, th- I think where things were lost for Frankfurt, especially was at the start of the season when they started dropping points unnecessarily against, you know, sites like Werder Bremen. And only, you know, despite... Creating enough chances to score three or four goals, just drawing against these sort of teams. I mean, if they hadn't done that, they'd be in the title race already. But seven points, still a massive gap to close when it comes to Bayern Munich. But hey, at least RB Leipzig is back in the title race.
0: Right, right. Okay, how did they get back in the title race? I know how they got back into the title race. Oh, that must have been t- painful to watch for you. Oh my God, dude. I mean, okay. yeah, Leipzig, they knew that, that, that a win... In Berlin would be extra valuable when they kicked off there on Sunday. I mean, they they knew what had happened in the uh, the Eintracht versus Bayern game, and but they you know they don't need a lot of encouragement <laughs> to win in Berlin. They have won all four of their previous league games in Berlin. They had outscored here to seventeen to three in those games. So you know, I sat down for this game hoping for a surprise, as as Paul Dardai had sort of said. Early. He's like, you know, it's it's going to take a surprise to win a game like this, but, you know, why not? We can do this. I was not shocked to see it go the way that it did. You know, Marcel Zabitzer, when he scored his <laughs> Lulu of a goal, his, his Zontag Schuss from, from 30 plus meters out in, in the first half, I thought to myself hmm, maybe not our day. And you know, Hertha, they had chances. They were much too tentative in taking them. I mean, there was a couple of chances, one from Dodi Lukabakio and another one from uh, Nemanja Radonjic, both of which were blocked in pretty last-ditch fashion from Lukas Klostermann. They had a couple of other chances that they, they could have put away if they had been a little bit more decisive, I guess. And really, when Leipzig scored that second goal, which was preceded by some pretty... Silly ball playing in his own box by Mateo Gendazi. I thought the game was pretty much over. They just folded at that point. <laughs> Leaving all that aside, I, I'm I am who I am. I am focused on Herta's mistakes. All the same, I thought this was a pretty canny performance from RB. I mean, this was a game where they did not dominate, but they still, you know, <laughs> look at the scoreboard. They dominated the scoring. They dominated the day. Yeah.
1: Um, I think they were pretty solid when it came when it came to taking the chances. Maybe a little wobbly in defense, and uh, that is a little bit disconcerting maybe uh, for Julian Lagesmann, given that you don't necessarily see Hertha Berlin as the sort of team that is able to create three or four really good clear-cut chances against anybody right now. What they did against Leipzig, but yeah, at the end of the day, they really took their chances. They scored a beautiful goal through Zabitzer, which pretty much was the goal of the match day for me. And uh, wait and a second, second. wait,
0: we we haven't even talked about your
1: Norwegian boy yet. Wow, that was the goal of the match day. Uh, I have tried to be impartial here. <laughs> well, um, then I'll freak out about that in a few minutes. Uh, Just you wait. All right. Uh, I mean, we can we can put it up to to a vote. What was the goal of the match day? Was it Erling Haaland? Which it was, according to Matt, or was it Marcel Zabitzer? But I think it's—it's it's, uh, technically speaking, I think the Holland goal was probably a little bit tougher to score. I—I I give you that. Um, but I—I'm a sucker for long-range shots. Uh, you don't see them this often anymore. But, anyways, I—I I, yeah, I think uh, well, once they got that second goal, they were done and dusted. And then uh, uh, Mister Auburn got. The third of the game, uh, he's in some decent scoring form too. I just saw. I mean, yeah, yeah he's four goals on four season. goals this season from nineteen matches, which is um, not too bad for for central defender. And uh, I mean, half of them have come against Schalke, so they don't count, right? But you know, he's he's got two more. Fair enough.
0: But since we have put a lot of weight on this idea that the uh, title race is back on, and that there's you know, Leipzig are now within striking distance. How do you like their chances of, of catching up to Bayern? I mean, I don't know. How, how many more match days do we have to wait for that, for that big showdown? Yeah,
1: uh, I mean, on match day 24, it's Bayern against Dortmund at first, which is going to be a decisive match for both teams, but for different reasons. And uh, then it's all the way to match day 27. Match day 27 is going to be the big, big day. and um, The showdown of showdowns. I do think that Leipzig have a kind of schedule until then. I mean, as we said, Bayern are taking on Dortmund in that time, in between those matches. So we might very well be in a position where Bayern might drop a couple more points. So it's up to Leipzig to keep on winning. And um, if they do, or if they even if they go in that match with a two-point gap, Chances are that they uh, can make a statement in that match, but as we've d- discussed earlier on the show, uh, Leipzig have been really dreadful against the big boys of the league. I mean, whenever they face sort of Dortmund or you know any any sort of top six opposition, they've usually struggled, and and that's why they aren't on par with Bayern right now. If they hadn't had that problem so far this season, they'd probably be in first right now. I guess I do want to talk for a moment
0: about Herta and their troubles. I mean, uh, you know, this is getting to the point where we really need to talk about them as firmly a relegation candidate, especially now that there's been a sort of mini resurgence from some other teams down in that area of the table. How convinced are you that this is a team that can at least get itself <laughs> to the relegation playoff because at this point Mainz is digging out of their hole very fast that's another bit of uh, words we're eating here on Talking Foosball and you know Bielefeld and Werder still have that game in hand Cologne are three points ahead of them at this point
1: how do you see all that sorting out for Hertha? It's going to be a tough few weeks coming up I mean Wolfsburg, Dortmund Leverkusen, Union Berlin and Gladbach in the next six matches Uh you don't see Hertha taking an awful lot of points from these matches. In between the match uh, against Wolfsburg and Dortmund, they have that tie against Augsburg on March 6th. And taking something from that tie is going to be essential. Because, you know, the run into the season against teams like Mainz, Freiburg, Schalke, Bielefeld, Cologne, that is where Hertha really needs to pick up speed. But until that run-in comes, it's sort of key to simply have the hat over water, because if they don't, and if Bielefeld and Mainz are picking up more and more points, they're going to be in really big trouble. I mean, relegation, if that run of six or seven matches is not ending with three or less points, it's going to be disastrous. Yep, yep, I agree. And I, I guess I guess all
0: I can really take heart from is that at least since, since Dardai has come in, the, I don't know, I, I went early in the season when, when you know, of course, Bruno was still around thinking that this team was okay, it was playing okay, it just wasn't getting results. And then they weren't playing okay, and they weren't getting results. And now I'm kind of back at that place where I feel like the team is functioning better. But performances like this, where you see a degree of tentativeness going forward, you see a degree of lunk lunkheadedness at the back. You know things like like Z messing around with the ball in his own box when he should just be booting it up the pitch, and you know just stupid missed defensive assignments. Uh, like for the third goal, um, it's it, it really feels like there's something mentally
1: not right with this squad sort of reminds me of Verde Bremen last season in in terms of Verde Bremen started badly in terms of points Um, then they got their head a little bit over the water and then they had sort of a string of bad results after that win against Wolfsburg. and once that string of bad results came you know, performances weren't necessarily always bad but once these sort of decent performances didn't yield any points, performances then started to get really really bad and you know, once you've turned that corner when you've stopped playing good football and the performances are getting bad and you sort of have that sort of mental blockage among the players. Nobody daring to do, you know, take on a dribble. Everybody's afraid of making a mistake. That is a really tough to- corner to turn back out from because um, once you're there, you oh, the best hope you can have is pretty much like Bremen, get a shitty... win over the likes of Freiburg or something and uh, maybe that will help
0: Yep, yep, I am looking forward to a very hungry John Cordoba Coming back uh, as a substitute next week against Wolfsburg, and hopefully as a starter uh, against Augsburg the week after, and perhaps uh, the reintroduction of of Javairo who has also been uh, a big miss in, in in this phase of the season. You know, at least those guys haven't been around for the for the the real lean moments of the last you know seven or eight games, and, and maybe maybe they won't be quite as demoralized as some of the guys because you look at you look at you know, here to players after the final whistle, uh, in some of these games and they just have this feeling of like, what's, what's happening
1: next? Like what new way can we be screwed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I feel so sorry for Rooney Alstein who is, you know, such, such a lovely considerable, considerate fella and uh, good goalkeeper. And he has really performed well over the last couple of games, uh, or ever since he's come back. And, uh, He's just at the end of, you know, shots from Marcel Zabitzer from 32 yards out. That um, Yeah, he couldn't have kept that out. Or shots from Kingsley Common that, uh, you know, incredible. Incredi- I mean, when it rains, it pours. Because those goals were so unlikely from a statistical point of view to go in. But yet, they went in against Hurton. Yeah, let's just stop talking about that. Let's talk about
0: the Revere Derby. It feels crazy, actually, to to lead off talking foosball, you know, chronicling the results from from the week of the Revere Derby and and like not lead off with that game. But it also it feels totally fitting at this point. I mean we knew going into this match in Gales and Keishin that there was a really high probability that this was going to be a blowout. But this game it just kind of felt sad. I mean Schalke... They lost by the dreaded no fear scoreline <laughs> at home. Uh, they never really looked very likely to score in this game. They were just facing onslaught after onslaught from, from, from Bayfau Bay. I mean, sometimes, sometimes Dortmund just looked like they were playing downhill, just like rumbling toward, toward the Schalke goal mouth. It also looked to me like a game that Schalke almost, they looked like they were already in the second division. I mean, how are they going to fix this mess? Because I, I don't
1: think we are going to eat our words that we think Schalke is, is as good as down. If you look historically at how teams have performed in the Bundesliga up until this point, up until Manchester 22, there's only one team that's gathered few points uh, at this stage of the season, and that was Tasmania Berlin. Close close friends with uh, Schalke 04 at this point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean they, they didn't get that record of uh, you know going 31 matches without a win uh, in the Bundesliga, which, which Tasmania still proudly holds until this day. But um, other than that, I mean they, you know, you wouldn't put it past Schalke at that point to do worse than Wuppertal did back in the 70s, and I think Wuppertal ended up with 14 points off with the the results with that three point rule. But yeah, I mean every Schalke match these days seems to be a foregone conclusion. You just know that these guys are going to get out onto the pitch. Rolf Furman is going to pull off a couple of good saves, but they are going to break down in defence. They are likely to make uh, mistakes all over the pitch. They're likely to have some good spells of possession and some good spells of creating chances, but it's all going to be for naught and. Um, at this point, it just seems like the players don't even believe that they are going to stay in the Bundesliga. They just seemingly go through the motions at this at this stage. And, uh, I mean, even the, the fact that the ultras of Schalke came to the hotel, Team Hotel, for wanting to talk to the team during the team talk, which ended up with Johann Schneider and Sascha Rita having to talk with them. And uh, I think Kolasinac and Ferman also went out to chat with the fans ahead of the Revere Derby. That sounds like an uncomfortable moment. But, you know, even even with encouragement... Like that, uh, they, they weren't able to perform and, uh, you know, um, some of, some of the Dortmund officials had to leave the stadium early because there were some ultras coming and, uh, wanted to have another chat after, after the final whistle. So, you know, the fans are most definitely not on the side of this team anymore. Christian Gross hasn't managed to instill any sort of confidence or get any sort of change to that team. I mean, I can't, I can't tell the difference between Schalke under Wagner, Baum, or Gross. I mean, yes, the tactical nuances that are slightly different between those two, three coaches, but at the end of the day, it's the it's the same rubbish all over again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and you look ahead at the coming matches for
0: Schalke, and you know the gulf in quality or the gulf in you know form uh, for this team and and just about everybody else. You just don't look at any matches like that they hold very much hope for points. I mean, even even in a couple of match days from now, when they are at home against Mainz, I mean, you just think about the way that those two teams are playing right now, and I don't
1: fancy it. I don't think that they're gonna win that game. I don't think they're even gonna draw it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think it's one of those matches where Mainz is actually starting to uh, you know, maybe climb past Bielefeld, maybe even hurt under the table. Sure. I am just. I'm very interested to see what Schalke do
0: going forward. I mean, it's already clear that Jochen Schneider is going to be stepping out. He said he's leaving at the end of the season. I can't imagine that a good six or seven of the players who are pretty central to this squad either have the interest or you know Schalke the financial interest in playing for Schalke in the second division. This is going to be a really big mess, and it's going to be not only a big mess for Schalke, but it's going to be a big mess for the Bundesliga. This is this is a big, big club. I mean, you can say you know lots of different things about the way that they've performed in recent years, but like the numbers speak for themselves. They have a ton of fans. They have a ton of members. They sell a ton of shirts. There's not going to be a Revere Derby <laughs> uh, for the next year or two, or three, depending on how things
1: turn out. This this is terrible. I mean, they 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 are the team with, the, I think, the third biggest turnover in the Bundesliga. I mean, if we want to put this into sort of Premier League terms, for instance, it's sort of like if, uh, you know, Arsenal went down. It's that big a mess. Or even better, Atletico Madrid in Spain went down. In terms of where Schalke should be when it comes to the turnover, the fan base... They should be competing for Champions League places year in and year out. And they've been massively underperforming despite paying good wages. I mean, we are going to do a Soccernomics podcast in the not too distant future, hopefully. And, you know, when you when you look at Chalker's numbers in terms of the turnover, in terms of what they pay in wages, in terms of what they spend on transfers, they should be up there. They, you know, but despite that, they haven't really had a good season for ages now, and uh, this is sort of the culmination of the sporting, the the planning of uh, how the squad planning being a mess, the leadership being a mess. It's just all culminating in this sort of dreadful season that is record-breaking for all the wrong reasons. Yeah,
0: Let, let's talk about Dortmund a little bit before we leave this game, this set of stories behind. You know, I I, I sort of. Set up and, and when I was introducing this game, that I really thought that they looked pretty slick at time and at times in this game. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of uh, Rafael Guerrero's goal that he you know played that nice one-two with uh, Marco Royce
1: in the build-up for. I'm
0: yeah, thinking that, also.
1: That- that was sort of like a typical goal to concede for Schalke because at that point they actually had a really good five or six, seven minutes, and they sort of started creating half chances. Matthew Hoppe even, uh, robbing the ball of Mats Hummels in the box. Arrow was a little bit too too narrow for him to to get a decent crack at goal, but nevertheless, he had to pull off a save. And you sort of started thinking maybe, just maybe, they can pull one back and then just yeah, cold shower, yeah. Done and dusted. It was all over. Yeah, not two one, folks. It's three nil. <laughs> but I think I think
0: you know what we really need to talk about. Even though I don't want to take anything away from from the fourth goal from uh, Holland, which was a picture of determination, or even you know the opening goal from Jadon Sancho, which you know is it was a picture great of picture. shock. Is defending. <laughs> well, and also just he, the way that he was able to just pick his spot and execute like that was just you know. Somebody who's who who really has great shooting technique and is given a moment to uh, you know contemplate. But goal number two, goal number two. Yes, <laughs> my lord. <laughs> and that Nick, this is not goal number two in the ranking table uh, of the weekend. This has got to be goal number one. You're being falsely modest here because he is, you know, he's your your, your countryman, your 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 uh, you know metaphorical son. Oh, my God. The way that he was able to sort of – he was calling for that ball a long time before it came in. And the ball was not even – it didn't even come to the spot that he really wanted it. But he was just like, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to contort my body in the one way that is possible (laughs) to actually make like – resounding contact with this ball across his body put it into the front
1: it's sort of I, like a, a man who's almost two meters tall doing gymnastics and it looks pretty it was out of this world and Holland himself said after the match that is this is the most beautiful goal i've scored in the Bundesliga so far and he's actually scored a couple of good ones we have to say so yeah uh, that in itself speaks volumes if, if you haven't seen the goal go onto youtube Watch it right now, because it's it's a tremendous goal. And, uh, yeah I mean, it's um, pretty much... Uh, yes, you, we can talk about Schalke giving him far too much space and him being left alone. And, my God, what on earth are you doing, Schalke defenders, giving this man three or four yards? But, uh, yeah, uh, the, the way this was technically executed was miraculous. One of the reasons why they are giving him space is because
0: he's... Freaking scary. Like, <laughs> looking what he had done at midweek uh, against Sevilla, some of those goals, like, especially the goal that he, you know, chased down, uh, you know, one-on-one with the keeper and was just like, I'm going to run into you. And if you're cool with that, I'm cool with that. We'll see who comes out on top. Like, <laughs> his physical presence is... Is just fearsome, and I, I feel like at the moment when he's in really, really great scoring form and he's putting his body into these uncomfortable positions, both for himself and for the defenders, this is this is the Holland that creates problems in every single game that he plays in. I mean, I hope that he cools off before you know match day, what twenty four,
1: but I, I I don't think he will. No, I mean, well, he's on seventeen goals right now, and um, Robert Lewandowski might might take home the the tour you can own Canona. But uh, my my word, um, if if Dortmund don't qualify for the top four, it's not going to be because of Holland's performances in front of goal. Because that one, if if that place isn't isn't a couple, if Dortmund don't don't reach that spot, it's pretty much down to this. Sh- crappy defending this season.
0: Yeah, how many points they what have uh how many points back are they? 6 6 points. 6 points off of the top 4. That is
1: pretty ominous in my book, especially especially I mean well, it's sort of I like mean, right now it looks really dark, but uh it takes only one slip up by one of those two teams, by Wolfsburg or Frankfurt. I mean, a surprise loss by Frankfurt against Werder Bremen on on f- Friday. It won't happen. Oh yeah. And they but, and they got they've got Frankfurt, they've got Leipzig, they've got
0: Wolfsburg all before the end of the season. I mean that if, if they if they can get
1: good results in those games then, then yeah. you know I mean there's 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 still a lot to play for, for for Dortmund and they sort of still have it in their own hands. But having said that, um no more slip ups because um any more slip ups and this gap increasing, that's pretty much going to be the end of that push for the Champions League.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that's sort of, uh, at stake here, not only because Dortmund is, is basically a perennial Champions League team, they sort of seem to run their, their club on the basis that they're going to be there every year. And, you know, they usually are. It also has to do with the subtext of, you know, the fact that they have a new coach coming in who I cannot imagine doesn't see himself as a champions league coach of course we're talking about Marco Rosa he is coming over from the other Borussia he, he made his decision to join Dortmund just hours before we were set to post last week's talking foosball so obviously we've got a little bit of a bone to pick with with Mr. Rosa and it well, also so appears that the say football from
1: the press conference it seems
0: yeah for for real for real I'm you know I'm I'm Actually, not, nowhere near as frustrated with him as, as Max Abel, <laughs> but, you know, just slightly. But the football gods are, are not smiling upon uh, Marco Rosa at, at the moment. Um, he, he, of course, rotated the team quite a lot. Lost at home to Cologne in the Derby two match days ago. Squeezed out a draw in Wolfsburg last week, but, uh, you know, definitely looked second best in that game. And then this week they lost at home again. Uh, to a relegation candidate, there was a, this was mainz Nilfunt. It was a two-one win for them. Uh, they scored late <laughs> to break a uh, one-one deadlock that had stood, uh, you know, since midway through the first half. Nick, am I reading too much into this mini slump from
1: from Gladbach, or you know, might there be actual issues underlying this? I mean, there are. There's a lot of noise coming out of the club right now. I mean, the uh, newspaper. Articles about Lappach wanting to uh, get rid of Rosa straight away, uh, players being unhappy, and um, I mean, if if that is the case, I wouldn't necessarily blame them. I remember Matthias Ginter giving an interview to Rheinische Post around Christmas, where he said that Rosa had told him that he wasn't going anywhere and that he had a lot of that he had plenty of plans for both Ginter and and the team. And you know, once you tell that. To your players and then betray the trust in the fashion that he's just done. Yeah, I could see why my players are going to pissed off, but the players themselves have stated unequivocally after the match that this isn't the case. They understand their coach, uh, they don't say that there's any internal friction. And you know, given that we're not part of that dressing room, we have to take their word for it, but uh certainly that's what they say. On the other hand, we do see the results, don't we? We do, we do. And I think
0: it, it, it is a bit strange the, the the way things look like they are likely to turn out, which is to say Dortmund seem to be likely to be in the Europa League next
1: year. Gladbach seem to be likely either in Europa League or out of Europe entirely. It's it's going to be a very tough couple of weeks coming up for Martin Rosa and Borussia Gladbach because the next two matches are actually against RB Leipzig and BVB. Yeah, yeah. So worst case scenario here is that if they lose those two matches and the teams around them start picking up points, they might be looking at a scenario where sixth place is pretty much far, far, far away from them. And additionally, if Werder Bremen progresses in the cup, Holstein Kiel progresses in the cup, you look at sort of a scenario where maybe the DFB Pokal participant might get one of those Europa League places, meaning that the seventh place wouldn't be enough for the Europa League. Yeah, so, it's been years since that wasn't the case. It's been years, but it might might be very. You know, it seems more likely now than it has done over the last few years. I mean, with uh, you know Wolfsburg, uh, Borussia Dortmund, and RB Leipzig and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach all playing each other, the four strongest teams of of the competition are pretty much going to be down to two teams, come the semi final, and once semi-final rounds mm-hmm. around we know all bets are off in a cup competition so for them it's it's going to be a very telling couple of weeks and uh, if they are not going to get rid of some of the mistakes they made defensively speaking i mean for the first goal of Mainz a long ball a long ball from Mainz's own half that Onisivo just runs onto and you know isn't chased down or isn't put under a considerable amount of pressure from any of the Laporte defenders Come on, that is that is a schoolboy error in defending. Scoring goals of that character in the Bundesliga—it's it's too easy. That shouldn't you know you shouldn't be able to score that way in in professional football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I want to talk just for a moment
0: about Marco Rose's move. We didn't talk about it in concrete terms last week because it was not yet uh, concrete, but. You know, despite the fact that it sounds like players did not have a super adverse reaction to hearing it, and, and you know, everyone's trying to handle this like, you know, mature adults and stuff, I find it quite disappointing, not just from the perspective that I think Borussia Mönchengladbach is a great club that is going in the right direction, and I don't really think leaving a club in that situation is a smart thing to do. Also, I look at Dortmund and I look at their immediate situation next year, thinking that they're probably not going to make the Champions League. They're probably going to have to sell one, two, maybe more sort of high-profile players. Even just looking at the management situation, I don't know. Obviously, <laughs> Michel Cork, Aki Vatska, or, you know, Max Abel, personally. I've never worked for any of them. But from the outside, I know which one I would like to work for much more than the other. I just think that Marco Rosa is going to be under a lot of pressure, not just because expectations are very high at Dortmund, but pressure from himself to, 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 to justify this decision that he's made. I feel like he's got a really good thing going at Gladbach. And unless he is 100% sure he's getting himself into a better situation,
1: I, I think this might turn out to be a bad move. I think what is clear is that a season like the current one can be forgiven at a club like Gladbach. Yep, that's true. At Dortmund, not so much. And Dortmund have been, you know, trying new coaches year in and year out ever since Klopp left the club. They probably had the best fit with Thomas Tuchel, but that really didn't work from sort of a interpersonal on an interpersonal level between Tuchel and the leadership. And you know, Tuchel is is known to, to fall out with with you know all and Sundry <laughs> people in management. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he he doesn't he doesn't take well to like the politicking power kind of people. So good thing that he ended up at Chelsea. Eh? <laughs> But um <laughs> he just goes from one team that's, you know, even more difficult to even more. Di- I mean,
0: PSG also not exactly a, <laughs> a cushy, <laughs> cushy
1: job. Maybe it's cushier in result terms than it is in politics. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, but I mean, uh, for Dortmund, they, they've sort of, I, th- I think what's been the problem at Dortmund is that the squad building over the last two or three years hasn't really been spot on. And that is showing this season. I mean, yes, Haaland, great signing. Sancho, great signing. But once you see past those two or three guys that are really standout players, the sort of average sort of player that has been brought in, maybe the the, the composition of the team is maybe not as good as it should be given the resources that Dortmund have at hand.
0: Yep, yep. Anyway, I, I, it, it's an interesting challenge. I, I get why he's going there. You know, Dortmund, as has been proven within, you know, Recent memory, at least fairly recent memories, at least as, is as recent as 2012. Dortmund is the kind of club you can win the league with. I think maybe there are some questions in in Rose's mind about whether whether you can do that at, at Gladbach. Whatever. Let, let's let's talk briefly about Mainz before we uh, take a break. They're on to something good, right? I mean, this, this we we pronounced them dead at a certain point in time when they were you know almost exactly as bad off as as Schalke and. Man, that's that's really changed.
1: They they're getting results. They're playing well. This is this is a new mindset. Yeah, I mean, both Sensen really rejuvenated that team and uh, I mean, you could say Martin Schmidt and Christian Heidel doing the business there with their signings, but obviously um some of the signings like Da Costa and uh Dominic Corps were the work of the old scouting team that was working uh for for the former coach uh Lichter and, and the former sporting director Ruben Schroeder. So credit what credit is due. Um but yeah, I mean the team seems to be up for it. They are a nasty opponent to play against. Uh they do score the odd goal from their chances now. Uh they defend really well, and um Boris is he's really internalized the sort of family feel of the club. Um and you know, once you get signings like Glatzel and Sturger to perform, names that Really didn't inspire a lot of confidence when we read them during the winter transfer window. Yeah, you you can stay in the league. Yeah,
0: match winner Kevin Stöger from from
1: relegated Fortuna Düsseldorf. So somewhere Abel and Meseros is sitting, rubbing his eyes, <laughs> pouring water into them from the Danube. Yeah, presumably.
0: are back with uh, part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This is match day 22. We've got a few more games to talk about. We're going to talk about them pretty quick because we talked a lot already, but, you know, uh, talking is the first word in <laughs> Talking Foosball. The first one, a pretty, pretty interesting game, I thought, in, in terms of, of you know, the, the way the game went. Uh, this was Augsburg versus uh, Bayer Leverkusen, uh, a 1-1 draw in the end. A weird game in that we have one goal at the very beginning, which was pretty weird, uh, and then one goal at the very, very end, which you know I think was probably pretty pretty fortunate for uh, the team who scored it
1: and, and was able to get the result. Do you want to sort of fill in the blanks here for us, Nick? Uh, yeah, Nicholas Lomb. my god, uh, goalkeeper for... for Your spoke, fellow Nicholas. The fellow Nicholas, goalkeeper for by Leverkusen uh, just uh, completely <laughs> mishit that ball <laughs> it ended up in f- Florian Niederlechner's feet that was I think in the 4th or 5th minute uh, giving Augsburg a really early lead and you know given that Augsburg had played Leverkusen on 19 occasions without winning a single time they sort of were eyeing their chance to, to get that first win and it looked really good for most of the match as Leverkusen produced cross after cross after cross not really creating an awful lot of danger well, they were the better team for most of the match, but not really getting close to goal. But then, in the end, injury time goal deprived them of that first win over Leverkusen. For Augsburg it's an important point against in the battle against relegation for Leverkusen is obviously not enough as the Champions League places are slipping further and further away.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean they're they're in a very similar boat. To Dortmund, they're five points off of the Champions League spots instead of six, which I guess is a little bit better. But part of the reason why that's happening is because, (laughs) you know, teams like Frankfurt and Wolfsburg are doing so much winning these days. We're going to talk now uh, with with Rhys Tigwell about Wolfsburg, and this is going to be officially their final appearance in Rescued from Oblivion. We'll talk about why in just a second here. Okay, Reese. what are we doing here? Why are we putting the third place team in the Bundesliga and rescued from oblivion? Is, is, is there a particular reason why we should be ignoring the likes of uh, Wolfsburg and, and, of course, Bielefeld as well?
2: Yeah, I think it's just mainly something that we've discussed before. Um, Wolfsburg is a team that anybody outside of that Motor City really doesn't really care about or... Uh, the press often don't give them that much attention. So they've been quietly doing their thing this season. And that's why I think we're talking about that alongside Bielefeld, who have have been here before, um, and I'm sure they're going to be here again.
0: Yep, Yeah, they pretty much live in the oblivion zone as as a team that doesn't have a lot of interest and doesn't have a lot of points. But this game... I feel, especially coming off of the result that Bielefeld earned down in in Munich, I think that there was some thought that maybe they would put up a bit more of a fight in this game. But (laughs) no, absolutely not.
2: No, definitely not. But it was was a great way to kick off the Bundesliga weekend, if you're a Wolfsburg fan at least. Because as you mentioned, that fantastic performance at Bayern uh, from Bielefeld, they almost won there actually on Monday it would have been the first time they won in Munich since 1979. And on another day, they might have. Um, but on Friday night, they were pretty much non-existent. It was, a, it was a walk in the park for Wolfsburg, really. They handed them three points. Renato Steffen got a double. And uh, Max Arnold, as well, chipped in with a goal.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you bring up uh, Renato Steffen. He did score two goals. But there was also a beautiful moment, I think, after he scored his second goal. He went over to give Val Beckhorst a hug. And... The difference in height between those two guys was, <laughs> you know, I mean, Renato right Steffen, the top of his head comes up to, like, where the badge is on, on about the Big Horse jersey. So, you know, he, he, he just he had the, the kid from the youth team in, and he's showing him a nice nice time.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think his height, though, can help him out a little bit. He's got that low center of gravity, um, and we saw that on Friday night. Perhaps hasn't been the player that Wolfsburg hoped he would have been, but this season he's... He's already got five goals, four assists, um, and he's definitely having his best season in the Wolfsburg shirt since he signed from Basel back in 2018.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is, you know, early on in the season, we talked a lot about Vehorst. Ve- about uh, we still do, we should, uh, but there's a lot more to talk about. And I think one thing I really do want to talk about right now is the sort of narrative surrounding their coach, Oliver Glasner. This is a guy, you know, he came in from the Austrian league from a small club that had sort of overachieved not a lot of expectation surrounding his arrival other than, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe he's up to something having done that down in, uh, in, in Austria. But, He has slowly built this team into something very, very hard to beat. And, you know, we brought up a couple of weeks ago when, uh, after Frankfurt defeated Hoffenheim uh, 3-1, their coach, Adi Hütte, uh, was was ready to say that his team was a Spitzenmannschaft. And I noticed, I noticed after this result against uh, Bielefeld, maybe not just because of this game, but, you know, even Oliver Glasner is ready to start talking about his team as a top Team. Is, are they a top team? And, and you know, how much responsibility does Glasner have for that?
2: I think they are a top team, yeah. Um. So, G- Glasner obviously guided Lask, who are historically not one of Austria's um, biggest clubs, to second place um, behind perennial champions uh, Salzburg uh, in his final season in charge. And actually, when Glasner took over Lask, they're actually in the second division and they've only lost twice this season now, which is their best record since the 2014-15 season when they were under Dieter Hecken. Um, and that season they actually went on to finish second. And I think many would be disappointed that they didn't get into Europe this season. But I think secretly that's actually helped them because they're not having to play as many games and they're not having to travel these vast distances. And I also think that the fact that nobody takes much notice of them outside of Wolfsburg helps them they quietly chip away and do these good things and here they are now in third.
0: Yeah. Just speaking a little bit more about Oliver Glasner. There was a sense early on in his tenure that um he was very insistent on making this a team that was defensively solid and and stable and didn't have a lot to offer going forward. Um but I watch this team and I see some of the players who who are are performing well, and you mentioned Renato Steffen at the top of this conversation. There are others who I think are actually playing better now than they have in almost their whole careers.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. And I think one of those is Max Arnold, who's still only 26, uh, made his debut all the way back in 2011, been a wonderful servant to the club. He's had interest from other clubs in years gone by, but he really orchestrates that midfield. And Gazner, I think, has really got the best out of him. And is actually interested in um his second in the all-time club appearances list now behind Diego Benaglia. Um So it won't be long before he overtakes him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, one of the questions that we uh, always are asking ourselves when it comes to sort of the Schlussphase, the, the, the end part of the season, when it, all the teams who are jockeying for European places or, or against the drop are really sort of watching their progress week by week. We got a good-natured ribbing at Talking Foosball on Twitter this week from a Wolfsburg fan. We heard from Justin Wasik. He uh was kind of giving us a hard time for giving a flat no at the beginning of the season when he asked if uh, if the Wolves were, uh, you know, cut out for the Champions League. I pretty much said that we are changing our mind week by week on that issue. Since you have been sort of putting – Wolfsburg under the microscope. This is your second time, I guess, in the last several weeks that you've looked at, at Wolfsburg for, for this
2: segment. Uh, are you convinced? I'm convinced, yeah. I think they're going to finish in the Champions League places. They're five points clear of Leverkusen now in fifth. Um, I think it'll be Wolfsburg and then one of Frankfurt, Leverkusen or Dortmund for the, for the uh, other place. Um, their next five games are all against teams in the bottom half. And also, as well, outside of the Bundesliga, they're still in the the DFB pocket as well. Um, They go to Leipzig on Wednesday. um, So it would be interesting to see how they fare in that. And I think, as well, if they do get into the Champions League, it would be interesting to see how they spend money in the summer because they'll obviously be boosted financially with that. And I think, as well, whether getting into the Champions League will or will not um, prevent Weghorst from leaving in the summer, because I think in years gone by he would have been gone had it not been for the pandemic. Um, but could they still lose him in this in this summer anyway? Because he's now getting to that stage where if he doesn't leave, he's going to be there for the rest of his career. But I think a club will probably gamble on him in the summer.
0: Hmm. Okay, I mean I, I'm I'm kind of hoping for him to stay because I you know if they do make the Champions League and we know that that Wolfsburg. Certainly in their history, they have, have been willing to spend a little bit more money than some clubs of similar stature and sometimes they've even been accused of overpaying. So I, I can't imagine, especially under the you know the present COVID circumstances where a lot of clubs are are, are, are counting their pennies. I don't know. I, I want to see him stick around. Yeah, I would love to see this club uh, take another crack at the Champions League. It's been a few years now. I think that what they have going in terms of the core, and, and boy, do they really play the same core week after week, I think that they could actually uh, surprise some teams.
2: I agree. They're a club that doesn't play the most attractive football, but the the key thing about them, something what you mentioned about their defense is they're tough to beat, and that's crucial, and the fact that they've had good defenses in the past few seasons. They've got the second best defense in the league this season, means they don't have to constantly outscore opponents to win games, so to speak. But at the same time, they are the lowest scorers of any of the top six. So I think they will need to strengthen on the attacking front if they get into the Champions League. But I think it'll be really exciting to see them.
0: All right, you heard it here first. Uh, Rhys Tigwell predicts Wolfsburg in the Champions League next season. <laughs> that means uh they they can't be messing around in Oblivion anymore. You got to say goodbye to Wolfsburg.
2: Goodbye Wolfsburg. <laughs> Thank
0: you very much. <laughs> All right, goodbye Wolfsburg. Hello FC Union Berlin, who who traveled to Freiburg on the weekend and got uh, a 1-0 win there. Nick, I don't know about you. I did not watch this game as it was being played, but I did watch the highlights. It looked to me like Freiburg just didn't show up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've only watched the highlights too, but I mean, going by the XG and uh, from what I saw, yeah, definitely, and uh, Union Berlin were ruthless in taking one of the few chances they had. It was not a game of many chances. Could easily have been a nil-nil draw, but then again, Premel turned up when it was key to turn up and uh, gave Union that important away win. And now they pretty much can say relegation is over for us we can concentrate on finishing as high up the table as we want and uh, Max Kruse actually said in an interview on a podcast that you know he thinks they are going to finish in seventh but obviously the fight against relegation is the most important aim for the club as they haven't gathered those magical 40 points yet but you know from that mindset you can can you can read out that the players are obviously they're looking rather up the table and not downwards.
0: Yeah, it looked, uh, it looked in some of the, the footage from this game. Yeah, it looked like the two, uh, coaches in this game, uh, Christian Streich and, uh, Urs Fischer were really, uh, big fans of each other. Uh, they, they, they were kind of, <laughs> I don't know if they were breaking Corona protoc- protocols, but they were like, you know, practically cheek to cheek talking to each other.
1: What, what do they, what do they have in common? I think Christian Streich has followed Swiss football quite quite a lot over the years and he spoke to Kicker and said, you know, uh, Urs Fischer is really an underrated coach in terms of what he's accomplished. Um, he's, he hasn't always been appreciated for what he's been accomplished, especially when he was coaching for Basel in Switzerland. And, you know, he made those remarks uh, when Kicker told him that the two coaches who were going up against each other in this match were actually the coaches who have been... Rated as the two best coaches in Germany right now by Kickers Readers. You know, both of them had the, I think Urs Fischer had just a decimal. This great was just a decimal better than Stratis. So according to Kickers Readers, these two are the best coaches in, in the country right now. And uh, getting by the results, you can see why. I mean, we kind of just addressed, me and Reese that like Oliver Glasner
0: is also staring kickers readers in the face. But that makes sense. Nobody likes Wolfsburg. (laughs) They don't want to vote for them. (laughs) Yeah, nobody does. Uh, All right. Let's talk about Cologne and uh, Falfbe Stuttgart for a moment. You know, Falfbe Stuttgart obviously have been overachieving. Cologne have been underachieving. Yet this was not a walkover for Stuttgart. They they uh, they got their 1-0 win in Cologne,
1: but um, they did not have the best day, let's just say. Now I think uh, there probably was some tense moment in that garage in New Jersey where the Matarazzo clan are watching 5B's matches. But, well, in the end it turned out that all you need is a, a good crosser of the ball in, in Sosa and you need a great finisher and Kalecik, and that made the difference tense match and in the end uh, the team that deserved it slightly more won it and to put the icing on the cake maturata has extended his contract at the club until 2024 yeah yeah and he was you know super
0: super low-key and sheepish about his uh his contract extension in his comments after the game i think maybe that had to do with uh the, the modesty that the somewhat lackluster performance from his team uh, uh, demanded he didn't want to sound <laughs> too overjoyed about, you know, getting paid for another few years after the team had squeaked past Cologne. But uh, I find him a really uh, in- endearing figure. I mean, he's he's not the most effusive interview, but he is a very down-to-earth guy who, who comes across when he talks like he's just a, a, a guy talking. And he's not—he's not some sort of uh, you know motivational guru blowing
1: smoke. I mean, he's—he's he's got a degree from Columbia University.
2: As as he, every uh, single announcer
0: likes to remind us in every single game.
1: Yeah, but you know, but, but you know what they don't remind you of is is the fact that instead of going into investment banking, we by now could have had a house in the Hamptons or whatever investment bankers in New York do. Well, they do, do have a house in the Hamptons. That's what they. Instead do. of having no soul. <laughs> he decided to, to coach football instead. He went to Europe to play in the Oberliga and stuff. You know, he played, you know, I think he reached as high as the third tier as a footballer. And, um, you know, that's how committed he was in terms of, that's how much he loved football. He wanted to play football in Europe instead of, you know, go, going down that road. And, and that says him a lot about the man. And the fact that he's now, you know, been catapulted into a position where he actually can make a couple of euros, good on him.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, he will be—he'll be one to watch in the coaching ranks uh, for for many years to come. And you know, speaking of coaches making moves or not making moves, I mean, I think that as long as he can stay there and as long as that club goes in the right direction, he should. I I know that there's supposedly a sort of a buyout clause in this new contract, as as a sort of de rigueur for for a lot of coaches, but you know, Stuttgart's a big club. Stuttgart, as long as they have good people in charge and, and they're doing well. Yeah,
1: we, we addressed the good people in charge of Stuttgart on, on the midweek podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, a <laughs> little, little bit of an update there. Um, oh. one, one of the executive committee members, uh, Geiser, he also stepped down after. We, uh, so, you know, we recorded this on a Monday and, you know, we sort of wanted to wait until Wednesday to put it out there, but yeah, once we sort of decided to wait a little bit, people just kept stepping down from <laughs> their positions. <laughs> oh, man. So frustrating. <laughs> Alright,
0: there's one more uh, match to address in brief, and we it, it, it's
1: going to be brief, because this was... Yeah, let's, uh, let's keep it as brief as possible. We don't it need was to a talk. wipeout. Bremen, uh, Florian Koffel talked a lot about Babu uh, during the training sessions about his pace and how vital he can be to the Hoffenheim attack, and he wanted to shut that down and and uh, in the end, Babu was the play of the match and uh, Hoffenheim won 4-0. Yep. Any any thoughts
0: about uh, what this result means going forward? I mean, really, Bremen had been on such a good run defensively uh, over the last you know month or two, and it just
1: really <laughs> fell apart. Yeah. Uh, go, going going into that match, that they were actually on par with Wolfsburg for the best defense in 2021. <laughs> Obviously, that ended rather abruptly. Well, listen, it's sort of the... It's the sort of setback that you should expect from a site like Werder because in terms of the quality on the pitch, it's not really there. You know that this team is going to fight relegation for most of the season. Right now, they're still in a comfortable position with five points ahead of the relegation spots and a game in hand. And Obviously, what's going to be important is those matches against Cologne and Bielefeld coming up. Because points in those matches are going to be key to just keep that relegation threat at bay. Because obviously, the matches against Eintracht Frankfurt on Friday and uh, two weeks later against Bayern Munich are probably not the sort of matches where Werder should expect to take any points.
0: Yeah, yeah. I very much look. I look at the table right now, and I mean Bremen are in twelfth, and I look basically everyone from Bremen on down. I mean, Chalka, they're, they're already gone. We don't need to talk about them, but I kind of look at Mainz, Bielefeld, Hertha Cologne, Augsburg, Bremen. Like, none of them are very good. Um, whoever goes on a bad run, um, over the next 12 games or whatever is, is, is going to have uh, a bad time. I mean, certainly Bremen and Augsburg have, um, an advantage being where they are right now, but they're not very good. <laughs> And colognes not very good, hair not very good, etc. etc.
1: I think I think the the advantage for Bremen and Augsburg is the fact that those two teams need basically twelve points from the next twelve matches. And yes, Vorta have some tough matches coming up, but they have a lot of opposition from down the table as well. Um, so. In the end, it's it's going to be key for Verda to keep on winning or drawing those matches against direct op- opponents, and that's what Verda have actually been quite good at so far this season. Yeah, they've actually done quite well against the sides that are further down the table than they are, and as long as they keep doing that, they should be fine. But um, once they've stopped doing that, if they should stop doing that, they are going to be in deep trouble. All right, that is it
0: for this edition of Talking Football, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Great to get
1: back at it with you always, Nick. It's great to be back with you. And uh, as they say, life starts with a 66 or is it 34? I don't know. <laughs> at some point, at least.
0: You can follow Nick on Twitter at Norm Musings. You can hear a lot more of his work on our Patreon page where you'll get Deep dives on individual clubs. You'll get our historic Match Day Moments series each and every week and much more for just a few dollars or euros or pounds or whatever you like to spend a month. Uh, If you want to contact us, hit us up at TalkingFoosball on Twitter or me at Mr. Matt Herman. Do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. Tell your friends about us. Give us a nice review. (laughs) Visit some next pneumonia.